Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. You know, um, God works in our lives constantly. He's writing a story in each of us to proclaim his goodness and his glory in many different ways from many different backgrounds and experiences. And so uh, Scott Dunn's going to come and share uh, part of his story with us today. Well, good morning. My name is Scott, as Amy said. I have new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from a pornography addiction and fear of intimacy. Uh, I was first exposed to pornography as a young teenager. I did not know Jesus at that point, and I quickly became enslaved. My family didn't talk about things like this, so I followed that pattern and I just kept everything to myself. I accepted Jesus as my savior a couple of years later when I was 16 years old, and it wasn't long after that that I felt the Holy Spirit's conviction about those hidden magazines. And so one day I just went outside on the farm and I burned them. I felt so free, but no one ever knew. They didn't know about my sin or my obedience or the gift of God's victory. And so that was an early sign of my fear of intimacy, letting people into me see, but I wouldn't come to see that until many years later. Well, I was free from pornography for about 11 years and during that time, Uh, I was blessed to become a pastor, uh, to get married, and to have two children. And then the internet came into our home. For the next 15 years, I had an on-again, off-again relationship with porn. I could go long periods of time without um, looking at anything, but inevitably I would fall back into my hidden sin. I would confess to God, I would find relief from my guilt for a while. I was thinking, as long as God forgave me this time, I can control this, I can stop it at any time. But I was unwilling to do everything that God's Word requires to find lasting freedom from habitual sin. Things like confessing to other people, allowing others to know me well enough to hold me accountable. And this was yet again another indicator of my fear of intimacy, fear to let other people really know me. Well, time passed, and in God's mercy, I continued to serve in full-time ministry as a pastor, and then as a church planter, and then as a missionary. And while serving as a missionary in Romania, my marriage began to show serious cracks. Conflict and emotional distance with my wife gradually became the norm. And this unpleasant home life plus the natural isolation of just living in cross-cultural ministry intensified that sense of loneliness that I had felt all of my life. And so as I had done off and on for many years, I turned again to porn to medicate the loneliness. Well, in 2010, we returned uh, back to the U.S. for home assignment. The plan was to address all of this stuff in counseling during that year at home. And in addition to counseling, I began attending a Christ-centered recovery program. Regeneration didn't exist at the time in Columbus. It was another program. 
Now going to that recovery group the first night was hard, and actually the first few weeks. I felt so angry on the inside, so ashamed, but God met me even in those dark feelings. I quickly discovered at this program that I was among guys who were honestly dealing with the same struggle of sin that I was. And this was a safe place where I could let other guys know the shameful parts of my life and still be accepted and cared for and respected. I began working through the recovery steps. And one of the steps in that program had us write a goodbye letter to the, our addiction. I will tell you, it was a deep struggle to write that letter because I was so discouraged. I was so convinced that I would never find true freedom, but I was finally able to write it. And I'll share a bit of it with you, just a couple of sentences. I said to the addiction, remember I'm writing, if you go for good this time, it will be because God did something miraculous and impossible in my life. I'm choosing to believe that he can do this and that he will do this in his good time and in his good way. I'm choosing to reject the illusions I've had of being in control over you and instead believe the word that tells me that greater is he that is within me than you that are in this world. Sorry, this story always is emotional. Well, I wrote, as I wrote those words, God showed up in the room in a very tangible way. And in my desperation, I asked God that, would you really kick out this addiction from my life? It was at that moment that I felt God embrace me physically. And then a voice, almost audible, but not quite, said to me in Romanian, of all things, Yo sunt tati, I am your daddy and I will take care of this for you. I spent the next 30, 30 minutes just crying and feeling an overwhelming sense of being loved. <clears throat> and when I regained some composure, I knew that God had done something decisive and yet mysterious in me. <clears throat> well, I continued to attend the recovery program. There were a lot of other things I needed to learn and to practice to cement uh, what God had started. There were things, you know, you have to learn how to set boundaries. You, know, you need to know what your triggers are. You need to maintain accountability with other men. You need to complete the workbook. You need to attend the meetings. And during that whole time, I faced some added challenges. My marriage of 22 years ended in divorce. And my bitterness over that became a whole other recovery journey. I stepped away from my career in full-time ministry, but my father met me in that pain and loss just as he was meeting me in my addiction recovery. All during that time, I was also involved in a small group at my church. They knew everything at that point about me. They walked alongside me through the recovery journey. And so God was not only addressing the addiction, he was, he was giving me a community of safe people where I could overcome that fear of intimacy. Now, since that powerful encounter with my heavenly father, my relationship with God has been so different. I now have this experiential, loving, 
uh, relationship with my Father in heaven, one that's based on unconditional love and not perfect performance. I know that I'm his chosen, I'm his beloved son. I know that he truly has the power to set people like me free of the deepest addictions and traumas and hurts. I enjoy a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit that I never had before. Scriptures like Ephesians 5.18 do not get drunk on wine or porn or anything else that you're addicted to, but walk, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those are now very practical scriptures for me. One of the things I learned to do is pray every morning. Father, please fill me with your Spirit today. Empower me to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's a simple prayer based on God's Word and God proves it true. Imagine that. Now, just because I'm free doesn't mean I don't have temptations. God has given me a a continuing relationship with a couple of men who know my whole story. They support me. They encourage me. I reach out to them when I'm struggling with some uh, tempting situation or when I know there's a vulnerable time coming up, you know, if I'm staying alone at a hotel or Michelle's out of town, those types of things. My life is open now. I don't have to live with a mask anymore. I no longer live in fear of people knowing the real Scott, flaws and all. And then quite graciously and unexpectedly, God brought an amazing lady into my life about four years ago. And getting to know her was a huge test on my fear of intimacy. But God met me in that as well when we got married two and a half years ago. Michelle's one of the greatest undeserved gifts that God has ever placed in my life. She reflects and she reminds me every day of who Jesus is. If I can give you one encouragement, it is this. Don't wait any longer to deal with the things in your life that you wish could be different. Lean into the opportunity that regeneration offers to be more free, to be more emotionally and spiritually mature, to be more like Jesus than you've ever been in your life. My name is Scott. I have new life in Christ. I am recovering from a pornography addiction and fear of intimacy. Well, that was beautiful. Thank you so much, Scott. You really served us with your courage. Let me just pray. Oh, Father, what a gift to behold your redemptive work in, in the story of your son, Scott. <clears throat> what a beautiful display of your tender fatherly love. We give you all the glory for it. and Thank you for the gift that Scott gave us with his courage to share. This time here, Father, where... Uh, we have to open up your word. Um, would you open up our hearts uh, to receive what you have for us? Would you give us the strength uh, to behold you looking at us in love as our Father? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one time when I was maybe around six years old, I was playing football in the backyard with my dad. 
it was uh, cold, maybe in November or something, and I had a super runny nose, as kids are want to have. And uh, my dad's like, here, wipe your nose on my sleeve. Wipe your nose on my sweatshirt. And my little five or six-year-old brain was blown. For some reason, I mean, I can still picture this moment vividly. For some reason, that gesture that my dad, this grown man that I revered, was okay having my snot on his shirt, floored me. And I think it stuck with me because I probably couldn't have said this at the time as a six-year-old, but it, it felt like love. It felt like a, like a concrete, tangible way that my dad loved me. He was okay with my snot, my mess, literally getting on him. I tell that silly story because the invitation for us today is to be fathered by God. And at risk of offending half the audience, I, I want to speak specifically to the men this morning. Being fathered by God very much applies to women being daughters of God or whatever, but I just want to speak to the men today because I feel like uh, this is something that, that we miss out on as men, this invitation to be fathered by God, to be sons, to be beloved sons, to come home to the fact that before we can man up or act like a man or get stuff done or whatever the rah-rah manly kind of language is, we must first and foremost experience life in the tender place of belovedness with God as our good heavenly father. I want to speak to the men because as we consider our journey forward, this next chapter of life together at Carl Road Baptist Church, I believe it will hinge on the men, the degree to which the men live into their belovedness as sons here. And out of that belovedness, live into their God-given role as spiritual fathers of our church and ultimately our neighborhood, lost people in our neighborhood. Spiritual fathers, a working definition of a spiritual father, someone who's allowed God to redeem and transform his story and now joins God in the work of transforming and redeeming other people's story. And of course, the same applies for spiritual mothers as well. Our tradition here is to walk through a passage, a book of the Bible, slowly get in deep. We've been doing that in the Gospel of Mark most of the year, but we're taking a pause uh, to, uh, of a, for a few weeks to look at Jesus' question, do you want to get well? He asks a paralyzed man next to uh, a pool in uh, Jerusalem that question. And do we want to get well? Do we want to allow Jesus to make us whole, to bring us into the abundant life that he died so that we could have? Last week, Nate Graybill, the director of Regen, came and asked us the question, do we want freedom from bitterness and broken relationships? That's a type of healing that many of us need that Jesus offers. And today the question is, do you want to experience life as a beloved son of God the Father? Do you want to experience life as a beloved son of the one true, perfect, generous, present, gentle, empowering Father? Or 
Are you okay? Do you, are, are, do you want to stay in orphaned ways of living? The fatherless ways that all of us develop to try to survive, to eke out an existence. Ways of living like it's all on us, like no one cares for us, no one's there to protect us, no one's there to give us wise advice or let us know if we're doing a good job. The reason why we're focusing on this idea of being fathered by God is because most of the things that we struggle with as men, pornography, anger, overwork, overeating, all these things, these kind of like surface level issues, I believe all can be traced back to the experience of God's fatherly love and blessing over our lives is what Scott's testimony just shared with us. Which is to say our problem, first and foremost, at its root, at the foundation, is relational. The presenting symptoms, the stuff we see on the surface, are all flowing from a break, a breakdown in our inner, in our experience of God's particular, specific love uh, for you. One author says it like this, boys without fathers or boys with fathers who for whatever reason kept their love undisclosed begin life without a center of gravity. They float like astronauts in space, hoping to find ballast in a patch of earth where they can plant their feet and make a life. This is the hard part about talking about God as father because we have to do some work around the fact that all of us had an earthly father. Maybe we knew him, maybe we didn't. Maybe he was a, a gift and loved and served us well. Maybe he abused us and left unbelievable, unspeakable damage. But experiencing God as our loving father requires us to look honestly at our, our earthly fathers and con- consider with gratitude what they, what they were able to show us of God's love. Even non-Christian fathers can show us glimpses of how God loves us. But then we also must be honest about the ways that they were not able to or willing to give us the fatherly blessing that we need. We're going to look at a, a beautiful fatherly moment in the life of Jesus uh, when he was baptized. To set the scene, Jesus is about 30 years old, and he has lived as a manual labor in a tiny town, like super tiny, like maybe 300 people. He has not done any ministry. He's not done any miracles. He, has, he hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't preached any sermons. He hasn't cast out any demons. No one has got free food from the, you know, the feeding of the thousands. And here he is being baptized in Ma- Matthew 3, uh, verse, starting in verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the fatherly blessing of God the Father over God the Son. Met with God's presence as the Spirit descended like a dove, empowering Jesus. 
And this is the fatherly blessing that every single human heart needs to hear. The fatherly blessing that every single human heart needs to, to believe is true of him. It's, it's the home that our souls are longing for. And in one, one way, personally, I think the best way to consider discipleship or being a mature person or a godly person or a healthy person or whatever goal, whatever, how you want to describe the goal is to say it is the degree to which we have experienced this blessing and live our lives like this blessing is true, is the defining reality of our lives. Over and against knowing a lot about the Bible, doing a lot of activities in the church, try, just trying to sin less, all those are natural. Those will happen when we live out of this blessing. And our means to, means to experience more of the blessing, service, Bible, avoiding sin, yes. They're not the main thing. And so I just want to unpack this blessing a bit and, and try to connect each part. There's three parts to this blessing to some of the core questions, the key questions that exist in the hearts of, of every man and the, the core need that each part of this blessing satisfies. The first part is this is my son. This is a blessing of identity and belonging. The belonging and security that come with your identity as a son. You are mine. You are safe. You belong. I see you. I claim you. I want to provide for you as your father. These questions that exist in our soul, where, where do I belong? What's a safe way forward in this situation or through life in general? And will I have enough? Will I be provided for? This is core to what it means to be human is we have a stabilizing identity that flows from a relationship with our heavenly father. Maybe we get some of that from our dad. Maybe you didn't. But listen, your soul needs this, was created to need this blessing of identity and belonging and security. And what, and what happens? Think with me. What happens if we aren't living from this identity as a son? If we don't feel safe or provided for? Well, often we as men become passive and apathetic. So easy to rail at passive and apathetic men, but it's coming from a, from a deep, painful place of lack. We, if we don't feel safe. We don't feel like we're provided for. Like, to what degree are we going to feel like we can go out into the world and do things? We stay home, stay cozy, eating, amusing ourselves to just try to numb the pain. Quiet in the face of evil because we don't want to address evil because we could get hurt and we don't feel safe or lose ourselves in sports, watching other men do stuff, 18-year-old boys play with a ball and living vicariously through them, or video games, living adventures on the screen we have no courage to do in real life, or cope with work and just work a ton, hoping to feel safe through the money we make, or put our, our father wound on our boss, or God help us, the pastor, or whatever, you know, to try to get someone else to take care of us. It's because we need a secure base. We need an identity, a sense of belonging from which we can 
adventure out into the world. And we see that in God's fatherly blessing. The second part, whom I love. The longer I'm a pastor, the more I'm beginning to see that all of us are out to answer the question, am I lovable? And I think if you've been in church, you know the theological answer theologically correct answer, you know, like you could get that answer right on a test. Am I lovable? Yes. Jesus died for me. But to know it like at a deep level in our bones is another thing. And, and again, consider with me, what are the strategies we might employ to make us feel lovable, to try to answer that question with our own activity, on our own way, with our own strategies? Working a ton, you know, looking to our bank accounts, wearing clothes, never saying no, because we don't want to upset anyone. So we always have to say yes, even though we're frazzled and busy and holding on by a thread. We anxiously try to keep everybody happy, because if everybody's happy, then, then I'll feel okay. Or never speaking up if someone wrongs us or hurts us, because we don't want to make them mad. So we just internalize all this hurt, all this wrong, until it starts leaking out of our pores. And the, the coping strategies, which are, you know, they, they could come from different core needs. Like maybe you go to porn to, uh, to silence the lack of love, live a fantasy on a screen when you don't feel lovable. Drugs, video games, food, you know, just like numbing that sense that I, I'm kind of worthless. I don't deserve to be loved. No one truly loves me. In our text, Jesus has come up out of the water before he's done any ministry, before he died on any crosses, and his father says, I love you. You are lovable, period. Not for what you do, not for what you can provide to the bottom line, not for how you behave, but because of who you are. At risk of making some of us uncomfortable, I just got to talk about Ruby's birth. She's my four-year-old daughter. We did a home birth which means that I got to deliver her, or like catch her when she, when she was born. And uh, Johnny took forever to come out, and so I was thinking Ruby was going to take forever, and so I'm just kind of like puttering around, like waiting, and the midwife is like, do you want to catch her? And I was like, yeah, I'll be here all night, just let me know. I was like, no, do you want to catch her? And uh, I said yes. And first I saw her head, and then next she was all in my hands. And I could not speak. Oh my God, my baby girl. Like the sheer splendor of her existence. The love that washed over me. Like I could not talk. I could not praise God for her. Ruby was born and I was consumed by love that she is. And this is the good news of the gospel is that in Christ Jesus, your father is consumed by love because you are, because you exist? Do you have the strength to behold that kind of love? One author says it like this. The grace of God means something like this. Here's your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. With this part of the blessing, words must be accompanied by presence. And you see this in Jesus' baptism. 
These are not words spoken from on high distantly, but the, the Holy Spirit descended. The empowering presence of God came upon Jesus like a dove. This wasn't love from a distance. This was his Father's loving presence with him. To what degree have you lived out of place of loneliness, unlovableness, shame? Have you lived with a sense that if people really knew you, they would reject you? Or that people are definitely going to reject you. It's just a matter of when. So you reject them first. Here's some diagnostic questions. How do you feel like, what do you, what do you feel when you ask someone for help? Like, well, I haven't asked anybody for help since I learned to ride a bike without training wheels. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what does it feel like to let someone do something nice for you? To, to not be the one doing the nice thing for everyone, but to receive a nice deed. Does that feel like good news? Or are you so uncomfortable? How do you feel when someone compliments you? If this blessing of love is missing, if we only know theologically, abstractly, that God loves us in this impersonal, cosmic, theological sense because of the atonement 2,000 years ago, but we aren't living into the reality that his presence is with us. In your body, all kinds of things get broken in our lives, in our relationship. Uh, lastly, God says, with him, I am well pleased. This answers the question, how am I doing? Am I doing a good job? Here's the thing about kids. They're terrible at everything. They, like, they're just really bad at life. They're born not knowing how to do much slash anything. But what do kids say all the time? Hey, watch this. Dad, look at me. Hey, Dad, look what I did. Hey, let me show you this. Our, their little eyes are searching out validation. Do you see me? Am I doing a good job? Johnny ran off the field after his soccer game yesterday and just was like, Dad, and just stood in front of me and then gave me a big hug. Just like, he just had to like get a, you know, halftime hug after playing soccer. But without this fatherly blessing over our lives, we spend the rest of our lives, we don't grow out of that phase. Hey, do you see me? Hey, am I doing a good job? Hey, are you proud of me? And so we got to figure out some other way to get that question answered. You see this in grown men all the time. Hey, look at me, watch this. It just changes. Instead of, you know, tiny tot soccer at Whetstone, it's, you know, businesses and money and whatever. It's that little boy inside of a grown man who has not heard the words from God the Father, I am pleased with you. I was at a barbershop a couple years ago, back when I was in Michigan. Um, okay, it was a men's grooming parlor. I like fancy haircuts. I'll, I'll, I'll work on that in, uh, in region this year. Uh, Camille's been cutting my hair since we moved to Ohio. I think she's doing a pretty good job. Um, but there's a guy at the cash register paying. It was, uh, my chair was like right next to the cash register. And um, he pulls out his phone. He's like, oh my goodness, I've got 17 text messages, 12 phone calls, and four voicemails, and I, well, I was only in the chair like 30 minutes. 
Do you, do you hear the, the little boy do you, saying, do you see me? Do you see how many people need me? Do you see how important I am? And the, little, or the girl you know, who cut his hair is like, wow, I'm just trying to cut your hair, but I guess I can invalidate you as a man <laughs> as if you want me to. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm making fun of this guy because it's, it's heartbreaking. So much of what we consider to be manly or impressive in our culture is just the little boy inside of us looking for someone to tell us that we matter. The need for significance, the need to receive from someone outside of ourselves the words, you matter, you are significant, you are important, is woven into our souls by God. And he created us, for, he created that need to be met by him. This little grid, I always think in grids, so thanks for putting up with my grid thing, but uh, it's just trying to, to map out the questions that we ask, the, the, the needs that all of us have in our souls, and it's an invitation to be united with Christ and hear this blessing over Jesus extend over your life. You're not weak or unmanly for needing this blessing for having these core needs of comfort, approval, significance. The human soul can't not pursue satisfaction for those three needs. Typically you have one or two that like are really strong, you have strong need for that, but we all need all three of them. And it's not a question of if you will satisfy that need, but where you will satisfy that need. The heart will find a way out. And the self-made man, the independent John Wayne, the mysterious hero who doesn't need anything from anyone is a myth. It is a lie from the folklore of America that will suffocate your soul. The ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, began his ministry, his epic rescue plan with this blessing being given from his father We need this. And even for those of us who had great dads, dads who were blessings, uh, were, our, were our dads perfect? No. Were our dads God? No. And so we all have developed orphan ways to meet these core needs apart from God. So one way to think about sin is meeting the, our needs, our God-given needs, apart from God. For me, this has played out also with pornography. A kid showed me pornography in middle school after school one day, and that launched me into a long battle with pornography. And what pornography became for me was a security blanket. Just like any time I was feeling emotions that I didn't know what to do with or I didn't like, uh, I, I could escape. Loneliness, frustrations, um, you know, the negative emotions weren't, weren't super welcome in my home growing up. It, you know, it's just like, just keep it positive or look at the, the, the positive side. And so I figured out a way to get comfort in my painful emotions on my own. If I was feeling discomfort emotionally, instead of going to God, who has revealed himself in his word as the God of all comfort, I could just hit the eject button, just like jump into oblivion through porn for a cheap version of comfort. And you know, I was in church during all this and back then the language around this issue was like, stop it, like man up, 
quit looking at porn. Like, don't you know porn fuels sex trafficking? And just like, imagine that happening to your sister, you know, just like all this stuff. There's all this, and all that's true. You know, like porn is a travesty. It's a, it, it, it is a, uh, a terrible thing. But I hear those sermons or those teachings, feel convicted and super motivated. And, but then that rah-rah would fade. And I'd be alone with my painful emotions and just not know how to share them with God and others and look at porn again. And that launches the shame cycle because then I felt terrible about that. It's how addictions work a lot of the times. You go to it to escape negative things and then it makes you more negative things. So you just go back to it again and again. And just as Nate shared last week, Scott shared this week, it's bringing it out into the open and exploring the underlying reasons, like what we're trying to get from the thing, from the besetting sin, sinful habits, that, there, that there's freedom. Letting God speak to that tender part, like Scott said, the lonely part, or for me, the, the fear of not being comforted, the fear of being stuck in pain and letting God be my comfort. But here's the crazy thing. This is a, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like you, you have this like real, you know, intense, scary sin, like uh, pornography is sometimes talked about in, in church, and like all other sins that you might be struggling with are just kind of in the background. So once I experienced victory over pornography, then I began to see like I had the same type of relationship with food. <laughs> you know, food's socially acceptable. I don't have to necessarily confess that to, to anyone, but same thing with food and movies. If I'm feeling something, I can just go to food and movies as a security blanket. Another orphan way of living is how I've tried to meet my need for significance apart from God, which is mostly through, through women and work. Uh, that question, how am I doing, is answered by God's blessing. I am pleased with you. After being chubby most of my life, in late high school, I got in shape a little bit and suddenly girls were paying attention to me and it felt so validating. And so for a while, I had this string of relationships with women that were just super messy because I was just such a, you know, because I wanted them to make me feel significant, but I wouldn't commit to them because, you know, as soon as they liked me, it was like the, the high of that significance wore off and I wanted to go find someone else to start liking me so I could feel significant again. I hurt a lot of people. Do you see how that need for significance when I went to other places for satisfaction? One, it never works. And two, is destructive. It brings pain. But like food, there's a socially acceptable version of this as well. I put my significance on work, getting stuff done, making progress that can make me such an unloving person. It's easy in school, you get good grades, and you know, it's, it's all pretty well uh, captured in the metrics, but then I was a pastor. The metrics changed and are more ambiguous, and so it's the, the spiritual growth of my church members or my church growing, and then that leads to anger and a lack of love because now people in the pews are reduced to you know, numbers on the metric or, you know, things on the metric that will either validate me or not, either show me that they're growing or helping other, get other people in the pews. And at home, I'd be grumpy and distracted with Camille because resting at home, enjoying our marriage, working on our marriage was an interruption to this scheme I had to feel significant 
back at work. And again, I hope you see the answer there isn't just like commit to a woman, stop treating women bad or stop working so much and spend more time at home, quit being angry, love people better. The answer is to create space in my life to receive this blessing from God. I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. You matter. Let him heal the sense of worthlessness that I have deep in my soul. Guys, creating the space to feel God's fatherly blessing over you is, 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 an, is what regeneration is an invitation to. It's space. It's time with God. Create space to feel God's fatherly love that is available for you, to you, and Christ Jesus. I believe with every fiber of my being that you can experience deep in the deep parts of your soul, the, the, the dark parts of your story you haven't shared with anyone else, the reality that you are a beloved son. There's two challenges I have for you this morning. The first one is to embrace the rite of passage of dealing with your pornography habit. Porn is so prevalent, so easily accessible, uh, that I, I've seen it called in the literature the, the rite of passage for, for every man. And, and more and more and more uh, women need to go through this journey as well. And I'm, I'm intentionally using the word habit because church people, we, we resist addiction. Addiction is for other people. It can be really hard to admit you have an addiction. But because, you know, maybe it's an on again, off again thing. It's a porn binge every couple of months and then you can rein it in. Or it's not, you know, it's not the hardcore stuff. Uh, you know, it's just like things on social media platforms. So it's not, it's not it doesn't technically count because it doesn't have porn in the web address or, or whatever. Maybe I'm belaboring the point. There's all kinds of ways that we can lie to ourselves that it's under control. It's not that big a deal. It's not as bad as the other guys at work, whatever. But Ephesians 5, and this slays me every time, Ephesians 5 says, don't have even a hint of sexual immorality. And so it's an invitation to let God help you kick this. What a beautiful moment in Scott's story. I am your daddy. I will take care of this for you. That's, that's what the invitation to regeneration is. Draw near to your daddy and let him take care of this for you. And it's a rite of passage. Maybe decades ago when you had to get in your car and pay money to another human to buy a, a magazine or something like that, you know, it, it, it maybe it was a little more on the margins. But now it's like in all of our pockets right now with our phones. One stat I saw said that 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they consume porn at least once a month. Guys, those are, that's only the people who were brave enough to be honest. I would imagine those numbers are much higher. My point is that porn is a massive struggle. And in a way, the stats have kind of already outed you. And so the question is, do you want to get well? Do you want freedom from that shame cycle? Do you want this fatherly blessing, the belovedness of your sonship with God in Christ to break you free from the mental fog, the numbness, the strained relationships that porn brings. It's not a region isn't a silver bullet, uh, but it is an option. It is a tool, a clear pathway to draw near to God. The second thing I want to 
invite you to is courageous vulnerability. Scott served us with his courageous vulnerability. Mark Weaver shared his story last week with great courage. According to scripture, true courage, true masculine strength is found in embracing weakness, being honest about weakness. What's the most manly thing in scripture? Jesus on the cross rescuing the whole world. And it was in his weakness, in his vulnerability, in it being nailed to the cross that he accomplished victory. This is the upside down way of Jesus. But courage is scary. Courage is, is distinct from bravery. But since this isn't just like blindly running into the battle, this is like, I am scared. There is real risk, real threat here. This could go bad. But because I want something more than safety, more than the status quo, I'm going to take courage and do it. Do the thing. And for, for men, that is sharing vulnerability, sharing with vulnerability. I just want to flip the image of masculinity on its head. The strong, silent type, that's not true manliness. It's childish. It's a scared little boy locked in a grown man's body, not feeling safe enough to share himself or to be joyful or too scared to love others with tenderness or to let his emotions show unless it's about football or politics or something like that. Or the, the, the image of masculinity that's just like always happy, always up and to the right. We do uh, highs and lows around our table at, uh, at dinner time. And it's so funny because Johnny, he's a little boy. I was like, Johnny, what's the best part of your day? And he's always got a bunch of things to say. What's the worst part of your day? And he's like, no worst parts, just best parts. <laughs> you know, I was like, it, 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 re it requires growth to be able to be articulate with what is said. To, to not wear the cape blowing in the breeze, always have the answers. Men, what your wife needs, what your kids need, what, what I need as, as your brother, as men who are, are willing to, to be courageously vulnerable, to take the cape off, let others in and share with courage. That's what, again, another thing that regeneration provides is a safe place to take the cape off and share with courageous vulnerability. Do you like tools, men? I think men love tools. We love, we, even if you're not like a handy, you know, with like drills and hammers, like you, you like good software that works. You know, if you have a job to do, you want the thing. So I, I learned how to do things with my hand uh, late in life. I didn't grow up learning that. And I learned what I had no money. And so I'd watch a YouTube video and be like, well, good for you. I don't have any of those tools. How am I supposed to do it? I remember building my first chicken coop with literally just regular nails and a regular hammer. Just like hammering things. And if you, if you work with your hands, you know, people don't really do that anymore. <laughs> And so I'm doing this, and my neighbor, uh, who was the best neighbor to have, he was like on disability and just had a pole barn full of tools. He never wore a shirt, was always eating. And he's just like, you want to use my PAS loader? If you don't know what a PAS loader is, it's a uh, nail gun. It's like a, it's got a, a can gas canister, so you don't even have to hook it up to an air compressor. It's just like, pop, 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 pop. It's just like 
the chicken coop was done so fast. I didn't have to jerry-rig something and trying to lighten the mood a little bit. But I just got to wonder if the reason why church is so often a women's game is because we talk about things like let's love better, let's serve others, but that we don't give tools. We don't hand out tools for how to do that. Like go build a chicken coop. And it's like, with what? Like I, I just this like rusty hammer that I got from my father-in-law. We hear teachings about on Sunday morning about what we should be or about kicking sin habits, but we just don't know how to do it. And we're helpless. We feel helpless. We don't like that. And so I just want to circle back to that fact that region is a tool. They say it all the time in region. It's just a tool. It's not a silver bullet, but it, it is a tool that gives you access to the one who can do the work. <laughs> the access to, to God's love who can heal your soul, bring you face to face. And, it, and it's, it's just direct. Like it's not mystery. It's not secret. It's like, come to this group on Tuesday nights. Work through this material during the week and see what God does. It's a tool. It's things you can do in your own strength. You can choose to do to give you access to power that is beyond your own. What if a year from now, you're experiencing life as a beloved son? If you can, you have a moment like Scott did, hearing God's word over you. I am your daddy. I'll do it. Moment like I had with my dad playing football, seeing my snot on his shirt, seeing God love you that much. What if a year from now, the anxiety, the insecurity, the loneliness has is, is been melted away? Maybe not all the way, but a lot by God's word over your life. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. To close, I want to share this blessing from John Eldridge. Invite you to close your eyes and receive this. You are a son of a king, a strong and engaged father, a father wise enough to guide you in the way, generous enough to provide for your journey through life. His first act of provision happened before you were born when he rescued you through the life, death, and resurrection of our elder brother, Jesus of Nazareth. And he called you to himself, perhaps is calling you even now to come to him through faith in Christ. When a man gives his life to Jesus, he turns as the prodigal son turned for home and receives the father's hugs. Many remarkable things take place. At the core of them is you become a true son of the good father. for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.